Good morning, everybody. Hey. Um, if, if any of you are on Facebook, and if you are, uh, if you actually follow um, my stuff, you notice that I never post. Unless I want something. Then I post. And it's usually, hey, would everybody please pray for me because I'm about to preach. And, um, and the, the, the beautiful thing about what I see when I get these answers back is that I see two mentors in my life, several, but, but two particular mentors in my life that pointed me to Jesus when I first got saved. One of them who pointed me to Jesus before I got saved and let me come into his office and waste his time every week. And he wondered, where in the world is this going? Is he ever going to get it? Is he ever going to cross that line and place his faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, you know, and he just kept going. And I'm so grateful because these two mentors are praying for this sermon today. And, um, you know, I, I told you earlier on, as we started the book of Philippians, that this is about a church, this is from a church planter. Paul started the church there in Philippi, and, and, uh, and, and as, as the gospel began to take hold of people's lives, a church began to form. It was a, it was a church plant, as we call it, when you start a church. And, and I thought back to, you know, when I left New Life Philadelphia in the early 90s to start a church in, 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 um, in Georgia. And then on the 17th of September, they're celebrating 25 years of God's faithfulness um, to that church. Still there. And I thank God for that. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I just remember, I remember showing up there, and, and, and uh, we had our U-Haul out there in the yard, and I, I'm lying down on the, this mattress that we threw down so that we could get some sleep at night, and I'm looking up, and I see this, this ceiling fan going around and around and around. I'm looking at that ceiling fan and thinking, what in the world have I just gotten myself into? I don't know the first thing about church planting. And so, here I come to you, not as somebody who's got this thing figured out, but the more I've looked at this text, the more I, I had a real struggle learning what I need to learn in order to tell you what I got from the Word of God. It was a real struggle, and, I, and, and so I'm just so thankful for everyone who prayed. Um, because, you see, this is a text about focus. Focusing on the prize. Ah, welcome back, Julio. <laughs> focusing on the prize. Focusing on, on what, what lays ahead. Forgetting what is behind. But one thing I do, one thing I do, I embrace what is going forward. That high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And looking ahead, and I am the most unfocused person I know. A few years ago, I took a, uh, I took a test at a psychologist's office for ADD. And you know what? I'm off the charts. And you wondered what was wrong with me. Now you know. And I found out that that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a creative thing. You know, the creator, the kind creator, has made me a creative person who's a little whifty. And then my sin distorts it, of course. But let's get into the word of God enough about me. All right. Philippians chapter 3. Turn in your Bible, your iPhone, 
your droid, whatever has the word of God, it's the word of God, however it comes to you. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. And I need to back up a little bit because he's, Paul is kind of in the middle of something. That last week talked to us about how Paul uh, laid out all his, his credentials and then dismissed them all. Uh, he found out that what, was, what he considered profit was actually a liability. And so I'm going to start back where Paul says, um, oh, how, how, far, how far back? Okay. Indeed, about verse 8, indeed I count everything, Philippians 3, 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what it lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you speak clearly into our lives with the truth of the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for showing us Jesus Christ in his splendor and in his glory and the great and surpassing worth of Jesus and how he is worth everything and all that we once considered gain, we can now count loss because in gaining Christ, we have everything. Lord, I pray that you would take us from where we are today to a new place, a new uh, upward call, a new step level towards you, and that uh, our time together in the Word of God would be encouraging and helpful for everybody, for the people of God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This is about spiritual growth. Paul says he's not done yet. And, uh, you know, I'm an elder and we've got several more elders in this church. And one of the things that the elders care about is that you grow. We care that we grow, too. Because we need Jesus all the time. We, need, we know that we are not done yet. We've got a long way to go. And... Um, I want to be a different man this time, next year. My wife would probably like that too. And if anybody thinks that he has gotten to a level, a plateau, or an arrival point, just ask his wife. There's so much more I want to experience. There's so much more of God's glory 
that is infinite and you're never going to get. You know, even when we see Jesus face to face and and begin that new place of eternity and the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to still grow because God is infinite and our capacity to, to feel and to understand and to savor and to love the beauty of God is going to expand more and more and more to see more and more of God's glory. It's not like, you know, down here we're kind of messed up and then we make a little bit of progress and then we die and then when we die we're okay and then we just stay the same for the rest of our lives. For eternity. No. There's something far more exciting. Something far more glorious. Because our God is infinite. And if anybody is bored with the message of God, we're not telling it right. Our God is infinite. And infinitely beautiful. And infinitely glorious. And there's just so much to enjoy. Um. I'm, I, I have so much more to experience in my life. The, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, of which I have very little at all. All those things I want to experience more. I'm not done yet. i got a long way to go. I've tasted, I've seen that the Lord is good. And I want to see so much more of his glory. I want to be less self-obsessed. I've been talking about myself too much already. Less worried about what people think of me. More faithful in prayer. More loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And more loving my neighbor as myself. More like Jesus. And I see areas in my life that are so messed up. When I look at Jesus, I see i got a long way to go. And Paul says he's got a long way to go too. So, he says... Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. And he says again, verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, before we talk about what's not done yet, I think we need to say just a couple of things about what is done. Because you can look at this passage and say, yeah, I've got a long way to go. I better get cracking. I've got to make improvements on my life. I'm going to read a Christian self-help book. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? <laughs> you know, and I'm going, to, I'm going to get rolling on this. You know, I'm, I'm going to drink five cups of coffee and become a motivational speaker. And, and I, I'm going I'm to get better and better. But that's not the right way to look at this because we got to see that there is something that has already been done. Something that is finished. Verse 12, I have not yet been made perfect. You know what the Greek word is? I'm going to teach you a Greek word. Some of you know it already. It's tetelestai. Tetelestai. That is the very same word that our Lord Jesus said when he said on the cross before he gave up his spirit, he said, It is finished. Finished. Christ Jesus has finished everything in order to grab hold of me. 
Paul says, I want to grab hold of that for which I have been grabbed hold of. In Virginia, well, my heart is heavy about Virginia right now. All that. Um, things that should never happen. Just one hour from my hometown. But in Virginia, we used to say, grab a hold of it. We never said grab a hold of anything. It's like, Bob, Bobby, can you grab a hold of that wrench? <laughs> grab a hold of it. And that's what Paul says, I'm going to grab a hold of wood, then grab the hold of me. I want to grab a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has grabbed the hold of me. Christ has finished his work. You look back at verse 9. I don't have a righteousness of my own, says Paul. The, where I am now doesn't, is not about what I have accomplished. I don't have a righteousness of my own. My righteousness is through faith in Jesus. It's righteousness that somebody else did, Jesus, and that righteousness, that perfect obedience to the Father has been credited to my account as if I lived it myself. I'm fully righteous. I'm fully complete in Christ. But I'm not completely like Christ yet. You see? So first we've got to talk about what is finished before we get to where we're not done yet. Because you see, Romans chapter 10 says Christ is the end of the law or the, or the purpose, the, 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 um, the, the end game of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That is the firm foundation that we stand on. You build on any other foundation and you've got no true spirituality. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You are now complete in Christ, but you're not completely like Christ. So that's where we're going to start. We start with the gospel. We start with where Christ has already done his work. Now the temptation is to look at that and say, okay, so Christ has done everything. He's done everything. So anything else, if, if I try to do anything, if I try to build on that foundation, then that's obviously human effort. But that's a myth. And so we're going to be talking about some myths and truths in a little bit later, but the point is this. Let's go back to chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear of God, the fear of God, the trembling. Because it is God who works in you, both the desire, the will, and the power to do his good pleasure. So, what that means is that the pressure is off, but the quest is on. The quest is to press on, to take hold, to grab a hold of it. Jesus took hold of Paul, you remember, on his way to get people in trouble. Paul was doing his, his, uh, his persecution job. You know, he, he, uh, he felt that it was his job to fix everybody and to get them to quit trusting in Jesus Christ. He thought that he could persecute Jesus out of, out of the, the, uh, the Jewish community 
and all he did was strengthen the, the gospel in that community. And then on his way to Damascus to get more people in trouble, to drag them in jail for their trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus himself in his resurrected glory appears to Paul and causes him to go blind. He grabs a hold of Paul. Paul says, I've been grabbed a hold of by Jesus. And at that time, um, they have to lead poor old Paul to the city where a guy named Ananias, a follower of Jesus, lives. And God has got to prep Ananias because Ananias doesn't want to mess with Paul because Paul is dangerous. And so God says to Ananias, Go ahead and do it, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul is saying, I'm not done yet. I'm grabbing onto my purpose. I'm making the name of Jesus known for the joy of the nations. I am grabbing hold of that for which I have been grabbed hold of. And you've been grabbed hold of for the same reason. At some point in your life, if you know Jesus Christ, God tracked you down. <laughs> said, I want you. He gave you faith so that you could believe. He caused you to be born again so that you could, so that you could see the kingdom of heaven and enter the kingdom of heaven. He gave you everything that you need to become a follower of Jesus Christ. He took away all your sins and he gave you his record of righteousness. He gave you his Holy Spirit to enable you to live a life that you could never live without the Holy Spirit. And he gave you a hope in a new heavens and a new earth and the, and the, and the, and the bodily presence of Jesus Christ. He grabbed a hold of you. And you grab a hold of that for which you have been grabbed hold of. Being made perfect, looking forward to the finished product. It's a complete restoration of the image of God, that complete holiness. And the ultimate prize, the ultimate prize is the thing that we're thirsting for the most, whether you know it or not. It's the full and complete intimacy and fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 10, that's what he's talking about. So that's the prize up ahead, fulfilling your heavenly calling, knowing Christ Jesus fully and being made perfect in holiness. And then you look at verse 12, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on. This is, this is athletic Olympic language. Runners get all messed up if they look back, and runners get all messed up if they look to, to the side at other, at other runners. Paul says there's something about what he is pursuing that's like that. And you remember last week? When Matt was talking about Paul's pedigree, all that stuff that he had done, all that stuff that he had accomplished, and all those trophies, and, and that, um, you know, he says, I'm not looking back at that. It's a temptation sometimes to think that life was a little better back then before you got hooked up with Christ. I mean, now I've got conflict in my family that I didn't have before I started following Jesus. I mean, back then I had street cred. People were afraid of Paul. I was free. I was free to go about doing, and people respected me. Oh, there goes Paul. He's such a zealot. Send Paul to Damascus. He'll do it right. And I was, 
I mean, here I'm rotting in jail. But you know, he, he says, I'm not going to look back at that. I'm not looking back at that. I'm not taking second thoughts. I'm not putting my hand to the plow and then looking behind me. I am going to strain ahead. And there is the language of struggle. Because I believe Paul had good days and he had bad days like anybody else. Paul is, I mean, you know, we look at this and we think, oh, man, Paul, he's something else, isn't he? You know, he's, he, he's way out there. He's, he, he's so beyond any, anything that any of us will ever become. That's not right. In fact, that leads us to our first myth. I've got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four myths about spiritual growth. You ready? Myth number one. I can't do this because I'm not Paul. Paul is special. Paul is talking about what it looks like for him, a church planter, preacher, evangelist in jail for the sake of the gospel to press on toward maturity, but that doesn't look like your life right now, right? None of you is in jail or you wouldn't be here. So what does that look like for, um, what does it look like for like a mother of preschoolers? What does it look like for a lawyer, a piano tuner with ADD, an artist, a musician, a SEPTA employee, a school teacher, to press on toward the high calling of God. Well, the first thing we need to know about that is that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that gets done on this green planet is for the glory of God. Everything that gets done on this green planet is part of of something that God is doing and he's using you in it. God does not want a planet that doesn't have any music in it, so he supplies uh, crazy artists and and musicians to be part of, of something that he is doing to beautify the planet because he is a beautiful and creative God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, You do it for the glory of God. You work like you're working for Jesus, even if you're working at salad works or something. You work as if your boss is Jesus Christ. And when you create beauty in the arts, it's because you're reflecting to a watching world what it is to serve a creative God. The Bible doesn't say that we're being transformed in the image of Paul. It's a good thing, huh? I mean, you'd have to give up your job, and you'd have to go plant a church and get in trouble and be in jail. But you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, which means that you become who he created you personally, individually to be in the best sense, in the highest sense. Do you have a vision for growth? What does it look like? For me to become more like Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you lose who God made you to be. It means that, this, that, that, that you are becoming more and more reflective of the glory of what God intended you personally to be. So Paul is not the standard. Paul points away from himself. 
Just like John the Baptist pointed away from himself and says, Behold, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. So, this is the language of struggle that Paul has. Struggling against the distraction of the past. Struggling against sin. Struggling against shameful memories. Struggling to strain forward and to stay on point. So I say this reverently, forget about Paul. And ask yourself, what does it mean for me in the calling that I now have to strain forward and press on towards the high calling of God? And what's my next step? And think about that for a little bit. Do I have a vision of what God is making me to be? Has God given me a vision of something greater than I'm presently experiencing right now? What does it mean for me to to forget those things which are in the past and to move on forward and to press on towards that high calling of God in Christ Jesus? What does that mean in my case? Myth number two, peace comes from knowing that I'm doing pretty good. I mean, yeah, you'd like to know that you're healthy. If I can look at the Bible, or if I can look, or or easier yet, if I could look at a man-made program and say, if you're doing this, 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 and this, you're good. Great. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, when I go to the doctor, I don't want him to tell me anything bad. Uh, You know, I I, I don't want him to say, uh, uh, man, you got problems. I want him to say, you're healthy, you're good, great. And that's what we, 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 we think of our spiritual lives that way. I'm good, great, you know, okay, I look at this, I don't look too bad. You know? Nobody usually says this, but we feel it. We feel like if I know that I'm doing okay, if I know that I am kind of at least fulfilling the base requirements of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then, okay, I'm good, I'm good, you know. I do pray and go at least maybe once a month, you know. But uh, I taught Sunday school a couple years ago, I was good. You know, so, so so we try to find our peace in what we do. Jesus says, I'll give you peace. My peace I give to you, but it's not like the world gives It says that having been justified by faith, meaning that I place my faith in Jesus Christ and he's taken my sins away and given me his righteousness, then I have peace with God based on what Christ has finished. That which never changes, that's what enables me to go to bed at night and sleep peacefully. It's on the finished work of Christ. Peace comes from the foundation that foundation of the person and work of Jesus. Your peace is going to get tested on a bad day. When you didn't do anything right and you fell into that same old sin, will you rest on the foundation and find your peace there or wait until you're doing better and then try to base your peace on something that will never be good enough? This is one reason Paul says three times here that he has not arrived. Most of the time... You don't really know how you're doing. And it's probably a good thing. I think I would be in despair if I knew all the time how I was doing. Um, when our kids were little, they used to, we used to um, 
listen to uh, the songs of a mild-mannered Canadian named Raffi. Anybody know Raffi? Yeah, okay. He has a song called, I wonder if I'm growing. I wonder if I'm growing. My mom says, yes, I'm growing, but it's hard for me to see. My mom says, eat your sandwich, but it'll make you grow up, it'll make you grow up tall. But when I eat my sandwich, I'm hardly bigger at all. And I wonder if I'm growing. I wonder if I'm growing. My mom says, yes, I'm growing, but it's hard for me to see. My mom says, wash your hands now, then you can go out and play. Hey, I can reach the tap now for the very first time today. And I think I must be growing. Oh, I know I'm really growing. My mom says, yes, I'm growing, and now I know it's true. The point is, you don't know much of the time how you're doing as a person who is growing in the likeness of Christ. We don't know. Sometimes our spouses can see more than we can see. The people that we live with, the people that we're close to, our kids, a lot of times can see more than we can see. For the last 10 years, I've been leading worship at a conference that, uh, that, that uh, Barney's ministry puts on. And, uh, and, and I started about 10 years ago. And, and, and several, just a couple of years ago, uh, Barney's brother does a lot of the teaching at this conference, says to me, I've watched you grow. I go, whoa, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> Great, somebody else watches me grow. That's good. We need the brothers and sisters. We need each other to, to, to kind of encourage us, saying, you know what? Earlier, you would have gotten so mad, you would have left the room in a huff. But I saw the patience that Jesus is building in you. Earlier, you would have gotten so discouraged, you would have run straight to your addiction. But I saw that you remain steadfast because Jesus is doing new things in you. Just a couple of years ago, um, I'm trying to think of another one. Anyway, you, you know what I'm talking about. We need other people in our lives. You can't, grow, I mean, on a desert island, you'll never know whether you're growing. And thank God we don't have a desert island. We've got a community right here. Let your relationships with one another be deep enough so that you can talk to each other that way. And say, yes, I have seen you grow to become more like Jesus. And that encourages me. We encourage one another so our hearts will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need that from each other. It's hard to know sometimes. Myth number three. Spiritual growth is all about getting over my nasty habit. A nasty habit is a visible, annoying problem. Maybe it could be a sin pattern, or it might be a hang-up, or an addiction, or something you just can't control. And the temptation is to measure your whole spiritual health on how you're doing on that one nasty habit. I remember when I was pastoring, uh, I was I, I was pastor um, of a church, and, and a lady called me up, and she's telling me about a problem, and she was going on and on about her, the fact that she couldn't control her eating. Uh, you know, I just, I, I just can't get victory over this, and it just drives me nuts. I just can't get victory over this. And this was the thing that she kept saying over and over and over again. I said, hang on. Is your spiritual life all about you getting victory over your eating problem? Is that all it is? Let's set our sights on something bigger. How about becoming like Jesus? You know, I mean, the nasty habit, we're all going to have stuff. Paul had this thing called, that he called the thorn in the flesh. 
We don't know what it was. We don't know whether it was a, a failing of his. We don't know whether it was a, a physical problem. We don't know what it was, but it was driving him nuts. And it caused him to pray earnestly three times, Lord, take it away, Lord, take it away, Lord, take it away. And God comes to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. God's job is not to relieve you of your nasty habit in order to prove that he's powerful. God has nothing to prove. But God is going to use your nasty habit to show you how much you need him every day. He might fix your nasty habit, or he might say to you, your nasty habit's going to stay there, but my grace is sufficient for you. It's what, I, it's what I'm going to use in your life to make you realize that you are dependent on the Holy Spirit every day. So if you've got a nasty habit, um, go seek healing, go to CR, get help. If it's a sin, walk in repentance. But don't make your pursuit of the freedom from your nasty habit greater than your pursuit of God. Let that problem drive you to God because God is the goal. God is the prize. God is the treasure. And he's beautiful. And he's everything that you need. And everything that we experience in life, we experience, if we, if, if, if we have eyes of faith, we see that every experience leads us to a greater and greater apprehension of all God is for us in Christ Jesus. We need him desperately every day. Myth number four. There's no reason I should pursue Christ-likeness now if I'm not going to get there in this life. Well, that makes sense. It's logical, right? Paul says three times, I'm not done yet. I can just wait until I die then. Reach perfection without all the hassle. Logical. If it's an unreachable goal, then why bother? It takes an awful lot of passion and energy and focus to live like that, and it's easier just to be content with where I'm at. That's logical on one level, but there's something missing. When Jesus saved you, he didn't just forgive your sins. He caused you to be born again. Born from above. That same word, the same Greek word is the word that Paul uses when he says the upward or heavenly call of God. When God saved you, he designed you for something better. When God saved you, he put his spirit in you and he put new desires in your heart to where you're beginning to say, I thirst for God. My soul thirsts for the living God and I will never be satisfied until I have more and more and more of the apprehension of the beauty of all God is for me in Christ Jesus. Everything in this world is going to try to tell me that it can be satisfying, but it won't be. Only God is the treasure. He planted this this deep uh, heavenly call which makes you dissatisfied with where you're at. Deep down, if your faith in Jesus is real, you don't want to stay the same. There's something in you that says, where can I go and meet with God? As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, and when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they 
be satisfied. That's why you don't just get saved and then sit around at the bus stop wait for Jesus to pick you up and make you better. Because when you get saved, Jesus starts you on that journey. It will include suffering. And, you know, here's another myth. Growth can happen without suffering. <laughs> um, hardships, relational troubles, brokenness, just the stuff of this world. It's all going to say, it's all going to drive you to that one place. Nothing in this world satisfies my deepest soul. Only Jesus satisfies. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God made us for him, and he gave us. He gives us, you know what the gospel does? The gospel gives us Jesus. What more could we ask? So, what do I do? Finally, what do I do? Five things. One, keep up a holy dissatisfaction with where you're at. Keep in mind that there's more knowledge of God, more intimacy with him, more Christ-likeness, more death, more love than you have ever known, and the wonder of it is that you can enjoy progress now. Already you can begin to live the life of the new heavens and the new earth. You can begin to taste and see that the Lord is good, and still say, I'm not done yet. That's one. Keep a holy dissatisfaction with where you're at. Two, recognize that this is serious business. Pursue holiness, says the word of God, without which no one will see the Lord. It's not an option. It's not like, you know, you got second-class Christians who don't you know, who, who, who don't really care about becoming more like Jesus, and then you've got the keen ones that really care about becoming more like Jesus. The Bible doesn't really have a category for people who are saved and don't care about growing. That's just not in there. You can look for it, but it's not there. Oh, it's the carnal Christian. No, carnality is considered a problem <laughs> to be, you know, to be to, to to ask grace, ask ask the ask for the grace of God to take you out of it. So flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There's nothing casual. There's nothing optional about that. Three, keep yourself in the means of grace. That's a no-brainer. Daily intake of the Word of God, prayer all throughout the day dependence on Jesus. Hang out with people who help you grow. Who do you hang out with? Do you hang out with people that point you to Jesus, that, that make you, you know, want to go deeper with Jesus? Fourth, be honest with Jesus. This is really important. It's easy to hear a sermon like this and say, man, I'm, I, I, I just crashed and burned. I'm nowhere near what this is talking about. Great. Bring that to Jesus. Tell him, Jesus, I am distracted. Jesus, I cannot rivet my attention on the word of God. I don't understand your word. My desire and my passion have grown cold. Only you can help me. And that is a perfectly healthy and beautiful conversation to have with the Savior who's there to help you. Just tell him. Tell him where you're at. Be honest with him. And five, 
Start with the completeness of Christ's work for you. It's not your righteousness, it's His righteousness that makes you acceptable to God. Depend on the Holy Spirit's work in you and stop at nothing less than being just like Jesus. And that's all I got to say about that. Amen. So, um, can I just give us a, a, a few minutes of prayer, silent prayer, just give you all the opportunity to deal with some of this stuff. Um, musicians, come on back up. We'll sing a song before we leave, and I want to just give you the opportunity to pray for a few minutes.